Amen. Good morning. All right, so last week I said that we'd focus more on the Spirit this week. I just didn't know how much. Um, so after much thought and uh, conversation, um, it was helpful talking to Seth about this. So if this was helpful, you can thank Seth. If it's not, you can blame Seth. Um, but uh, really just thinking about these two simple phrases at the end of our last section, the beginning of the next section in 1 Samuel 16, uh, really gave me confidence that the, the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit of the Lord needs His own treatment. And um, so we're going to get all the way from the end of verse 13 to the beginning of verse 14. Uh, yeah, yep. And, um, but I think this will be extremely helpful in studying the Scriptures and going through the rest of life. Because, depending on your tradition... The Holy Spirit may have been relegated to some impersonal force um, that was distinct from God, eternal God Almighty. Um, maybe your tradition was one where the Holy Spirit, uh, out of fear for sensationalism, was neglected uh, almost altogether. That was mine. Um, or maybe you come from a tradition where the Holy Spirit is so overemphasized that the Father and, and Son are almost forgotten, that the, the uh, unity of the, the Godhead is tipped on, on, on its side um, so that the miraculous and the uh, supernatural and the experiential can be pushed to the forefront. You're probably coming out of one of those camps. But if you're one of the people who has uh, robust Trinitarian uh, theology and you have the right view of the, the ministry of the Spirit in um, coordinating fashion with the Son and the Father, you are in the minority. Um, and that's why here we are so purposeful in our teaching and in our prayers and in our application to remind, to recognize, to instruct, and rely on the ministry of the Spirit. And so hopefully that will become evident because the Spirit is working in His people, those same people who the Father gave to the Son. And so, um, in your Bibles, in um, 1 Samuel, these two little phrases, they bring up more questions than they answer, really. And so we addressed this briefly before uh, in, our dealing, in our treatment of Saul. We'll, we'll address this again, but I want us to stop. I want us to stop and spend some time on the ministry of the Spirit of the Lord. Um, it's kind of like sometimes you walk and you just have to look at the sunrise. It is so amazing, it is so awesome, yet it seems so far and out of your reach, yet it warms you and lights your path. That's one of the ways I can think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I'm going to answer all the questions you have about the Holy Spirit. No, uh, definitely not. Um, but we're going to be trying to understand something we cannot grasp. The word spirit also means, could mean breath or a wind. What we're trying to define and grasp this morning is literally like trying to hold on to the wind. And so we'll be meteorologists at best, trying to, um, trying to predict or trying to understand what God blows and directs and works as he wishes. But the scriptures have a lot to say. 
So uh, we're going to spend quite a, quite a bit of time in the, the scriptures this morning. Um, and so I don't want you to be overwhelmed by the amount of references. Um, I want you to be encouraged. Um, you can write these down. You can look at them, them uh, later. But we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say. We're not going to go beyond that. We're going to read the text that we do have. Um, so we must be cautious. We're not going to read what we want to be in the text that's, that's not in the text. Um, we're going to draw our conclusions from the text and go from there. So that you are encouraged. I want us to land and apply um, how we, I'm talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're a visitor here this morning, this is really good for you to hear and really good for you to consider. But us, as believers in Christ, what does it mean that the Spirit indwells us and how does the Spirit minister in and through us in the church age? So one last disclaimer, a wise man once said, um, I am saying what I'm saying, and I'm not saying what I'm not saying. I'm saying what I'm saying, and I'm not saying what I'm not saying. Know what I mean? That means, don't come up to me after the sermon and say, Pastor Tim, what I think you're saying is, um, if I'm reading between the lines, no, don't read between the lines. Uh, we're reading what is on the page and no more, okay? All right, so let's read our text this morning, 1 Samuel 16 the second half of verse 13, and the beginning of verse 14. Maybe the beginning of 13. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Let's pray. Our great God... You are high and lifted up. You are exalted above the heavens. You existed before the heavens were created. Before you there is no one. There was nothing. There is no one after you. You created all things through your breath. You created all that we see and hear and touch. You created us by the power of the Spirit of the living God. General revelation points us to the God who creates all things. You also revealed yourself in your word, which is breathed out by your Spirit, Spirit-inspired. We are a people indwelt by that same Spirit who breathe life into creation, who breathe life into a word that is living and active, who breathes life into us. And we stand in amazement, our God, that you would do that in us and that you would work through us, that the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ would give us utterances too deep for words, would remind us of the person and work of Christ would bring us comfort by the mere mention of his name and the singing of his praises and the retelling of his deeds. That the Christian life is not possible without the spirit of the living God. And he has come not to glorify himself, but to glorify the Son. So that we would see our Father in heaven and praise him for our great Savior, and our great helper, which he has sent us to keep us and preserve us 
until the day that we see him face to face. And it is in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. All right, so as you're reading through the Old Testament, uh, as we're, we're going to start, if you look at your outline, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament in John and Acts and Paul and then in us. And when you're reading the Old Testament, uh, there are three principles to keep in mind when it comes to the Spirit. Number one, the Spirit is working. It's in the very first paragraph of Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1. The Spirit hovers over the waters. The Spirit is working all throughout the Old Testament. It is clear from our text and, and others, the Spirit is present with his people in a general sense. There is the glory cloud, Shekinah. There is the uh, dwelling of, of, of God in the tabernacle, in the temple. But he's also working in and among his people in an individual way as well. Second thing, that all life comes from the Spirit. There is not a creature that lives whose breath he is not owed to the Spirit of the living God. And there is not one who is redeemed Apart from that breath, there is no eternal life without saving faith. And that saving faith comes from the Spirit. And it is impossible without the Spirit. Jesus tells us this in John 6. John 6, uh, 6 63, and I'm just going to read to 65. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So whether we're reading about the Old Testament saints or we're reading about ourselves, there is no life apart from the Spirit. And the Spirit draws those who will come to saving faith in Christ, even if they do not know his name, they trust the true and living God. And the Spirit gives them life. And then thirdly, a day is coming. All throughout the Old Testament, we're going to look at just a representative segment of those texts. There is a day coming when the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out in a new and powerful way in his people. And I just want to look at just a few. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour out water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. You might be familiar with Ezekiel 36, 25 through 37. Where the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. And I think the... ESV rightly translates this here as a new spirit, lowercase s. Uh, new life, new breath within you. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my capital S, spirit within you. What is the reason why the Lord promises that he will put the spirit within you? And he will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. One more, Ezekiel thirty-nine, twenty-nine. And I will not hide my face any more from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. This is looking forward. This is why Pentecost is so amazing and so important. Because that spirit poured out first upon the house of Israel. And then as we've been studying in Acts, 
Uh, we'll get to Acts later, but in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so, I must resist preaching a six-part biblical theology series on the Holy Spirit. Some of you would love that, um, but this is going to be one crash course, um, and so there's going to be a lot of instruction here. And I want us to be able to understand our text. Um, and not just our text, but the work of the Spirit as we go through 1 Samuel and uh, as we go through the Old and New Testaments. So our text is a bit of a, a Janus text. And we've talked about this before. Um, the uh, Greek God who has two faces, one looking back and one looking forward. And so one is looking back at, at, at Saul who had the Holy Spirit on him. The um, anointing for, for ministry, the blessing of God being put in the office of king and him being rejected by God and that spirit moving off of him and coming upon David even before David is, is inaugurated into his kingly office. His anointing took place before. And so there's, this, there's the, this, this transition looking back on what was with Saul and looking forward on what will be with David. Here's what we know so far in 1 Samuel, this anointing, it is a, a recognition. When Samuel puts his hand on Saul or puts his hand on David, this is an anointing with oil and a recognition that God has his hand upon you in your office. This is done for priests and prophets and, and kings. This is to confirm your ministry and in confirmation, in dramatic fashion, the, the Spirit rushes upon Saul a couple times. In chapter 10, verse 10, when they came to Gibba, behold, the, the group of prophets met him, and the Spirit rushed upon him, Saul, and he prophesied among them. A few verses later, in chapter 11, verse 6, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger, anger was greatly kindled. Saul is a man of passions. He is an impetuous man. And so the Lord rushes upon him for a particular task in a particular time, but his passions are easily swayed. And so now when the Lord rushes upon David, there's something distinct. Because when the, Lord rushes, when the Spirit rushes upon David, he remains from this day forward. And there are many people in the Old Testament who were uh, who are spoken of as the, the Spirit coming upon them, whether they are temple builders or musicians or uh, teachers. But David is the only one in the entire Old Testament who we specifically hear that the Spirit is with him all of his days from that day forward. Now, this is significant because we get a lot of temporary in the Old Testament. Um, Moses struggled. Moses needed help. Uh, in, in Numbers 11, Moses is exhausted, and he needs to, to share his, his, his ministry. And so here's what the Lord does. This is, Moses, uh, this is uh, Numbers 11, beginning in verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him. And took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp. One named Eldad and the other named Medad. Um, 
Just going to leave that there. And the Spirit rested on them. They were among these registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran up and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the, the assistant to Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. What's fascinating what Moses says here, Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people be prophets, that the Lord put his spirit on them. Moses longed for, Moses envisions a day. Wouldn't it be amazing if all the people of God could prophesy? Isn't it, wouldn't it be amazing if all the people of God would speak the oracles of God, if all the people of God would have the Spirit with the same power and intensity that these men did? Going a little further in Judges, we did a brief overview of Judges, but another theme in Judges is how the Lord is with his Judges. Uh, 2.18, he says, whenever the Lord raised up Judges for them, the Lord was with the Judge. And he saved them from the hands of their enemies all the days of that judge. Judges speaks of the spirit coming upon Othniel, upon Gideon, upon Jephthah, and probably most dramatically upon Samson. If you go to the end of the book, or the uh, two-thirds in, chapter 14. Samson's amazing feats are attributed to the power of the spirit that overcomes him. Judges 15, verse 14. When they came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet them. Imagine this army shouting and, and, and running at you. And one man, the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon them, and the ropes around his arm became his flax, and he caught fire, and the bonds melted off his hands. And he found the flesh of a jawbone on a donkey and put it in his hand and took it. And with it, he struck down a thousand men. That's when the Holy Spirit rushed upon Samson. But we all know Samson's kryptonite is the kryptonite for most men. Uh, it is a woman who tells him sweet things in his ear. And when he finally gives away the secret of his strength, she cut his hair. Going on in chapter um, 16, verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are coming upon you. This is comical. You can go back and read it later. But she tricks him several times, and this time he finally fell for it. And when he awoke from sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Like Saul, all of these men had the spirit rush upon them for a time. But David is a man who had the spirit with him all of his days. But David understood that with the Spirit of the Lord, there is righteousness. And that when he sinned, when he committed murder and he committed adultery, his greatest fear was that the Lord would take his spirit from him. Go to Psalm 51. We don't know how much David really understood here. But David speaks about his inward spirit, his countenance, his composure, and the external impartation of the Holy Spirit upon him. Here's what David says when he's confronted with his own sin. Psalm 51, 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Rejoy to me re- restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Notice how David compares the presence of God with the Holy Spirit upon him. David, the man after God's own heart, understands how important this is, that the Spirit is with him. But this is, our old, this is the Old Testament context. We know something's different now, especially since we've been studying Acts. We've been studying all the miraculous things and how the, the, the Holy Spirit is working in fullness through his people. And so what is, what is different between then and now? So all along, the Lord has been promising to his prophets three things. And we're going to see these. You can turn to, uh, from here on out, you're going to need your, your, your Bibles. Um, we're going to turn to Isaiah. I can spend the rest of our time just in Isaiah, but we're going to go quickly. Three things. The Lord has been promising a day, a Messiah, and an outpouring of the Spirit like nothing they had ever seen before. A day that would be coming in the future. A Messiah, an anointed one that would be coming in the future. And that would be associated with an outpouring of the Spirit that is, that is new and unlike anything they had seen before. Uh, I'm going to walk through a few of these. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Okay, I'll let you guys turn. It's a preacher's favorite sound. Uh, babies and flipping pages. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, moving to chapter 32. There is discomfort in the land. There is mourning because of Israel's poverty. There is promise in this chapter of a king coming in, in righteousness. And here's the encouragement. Beginning in verse 14. The palace is forsaken. The populous city is, is deserted. This is during the time of their exile. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. There's no king in Israel. The palace is empty. This great land has no one to look forward to until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, tabernacle. And righteousness abide in a fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. These are attributes of the coming of the Spirit. And these are attributes of the coming of the reign of that king. There's the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 42. There is the branch, the king, the servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. 
a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth, just, bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice on the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. And finally, chapter 61. This is now the evangelist, the one who proclaims the good news, the preacher. You got the stump, the king, the servant, the deliverer, the preacher. Verse 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's what we sang earlier, that they may be called oaks of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know, the first passage when Jesus teaches in the synagogue is here in Isaiah 61. Luke recounts it in Luke chapter 4. So as you can see, you're going to need your Bibles going forward. But all of these should give us this anticipation that someone's coming. Who are all these, these prophecies about? What is the anticipation about? It is to the anointed one, the Christ, the king, the one who would come up out of the house of David, the uh, root of Jesse. He would be the one to proclaim the good news, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. He would be the one who would be born of the spirit, who would be full of the spirit. He would be the one. This looks forward to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to our second point. No gospel writer has a greater emphasis on the role of the Spirit of the Lord in the life and ministry of Christ and in the anticipation of the ministry for the believer than John the Apostle. So, turn to John's gospel. John has much to say about the Spirit. We're just going to look at a few things. Now remember, David is unique in mention in the Old Testament that the Spirit remains on him. But from this text in chapter 1 forward, this will be the language that is spoken of of every believer, that the Spirit is with you and the Spirit is in you. But it must begin with our head first. The one who is first born among the dead must be the one who is first given the Spirit. This is John chapter 1, verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. This is a big deal, because remember all the other texts we looked at. They came, the Spirit came for a purpose, and then he left. But here he remains. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descends and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That is amazing. That our Savior, to truly become our high priest, to truly become our representative, is baptized and the Spirit remains on him. So that he may baptize, he may immerse us in the Holy Spirit. Our Savior was immersed in the Spirit so that through him we may be immersed in the Spirit. 
But this requires something first. Go to chapter 3. Just like he told us in chapter 6 that there is no life apart from the Spirit, Nicodemus, the midnight theologian, um, is, is asking, Jesus the, uh, asking Jesus questions. Here's how Jesus responds in chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's a logical question. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth, and the spirit, supernatural birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is no new life without the spirit. There is no new life without new birth. No one can see the kingdom of God without the birth of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now he says this before Pentecost. We have to put John 3 and John 6 together. Any believer, old covenant, new covenant, must be born of the Spirit must have new life. There is no possibility without it. And then if we try to understand it, if we try to grasp it, Jesus helps us uh, in our, our inquisitive theological minds. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you may hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And that's why I said we're going to be meteorologists this morning. We're going to talk about what we see in the text but we don't know how exactly God moves and what exactly he was doing in Old Testament saints. We know what was on the page. But we do know that if you are born of the Spirit, you will see the kingdom of God. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That is above our pay grade. We can't see a regenerated heart. We can just see the fruit of it. Okay. So... Now we kind of get this, this idea that there is something spiritual that must happen in us for salvation. But there's also something greater coming. John chapter 7. Jesus is at the uh, Feast of Booths. And as the water is being poured out in the, in the ritual, he stands up on the last day of the feast. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What did Jesus mean? And in anticipating our question, the apostle John answers for us. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. This is something that is upcoming. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There is a qualitative intensity that will come after Jesus' glorification. There is an indwelling presence and uh, power and intensity of the Spirit that will be given to those who believe that is unlike what has happened before. And it is tied with Jesus' glory. And Jesus also, as we go on, he, he, he tells them this, and he tells them to look forward to this, chapter 14. The other thing about the fountain that is unique is that, you know, know what, what, what living waters are as opposed to stagnant waters? 
Living waters always flow. There is a continual flowing of these living waters out of the very hearts of those who receive the Spirit. Jesus, on the last night in the last discourse with his disciples before he is to go to the cross, what is the final thing he wants to leave them with? What, what final encouragement does he give them in chapter 14? Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. A paraclete, the advocate, comforter, to be with you forever. This is his comfort. I need to go. But I'm sending you someone who will never leave. And he will comfort you, and he will be your advocate. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Like he said in chapter 7, those who believe will receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. He is not an impersonal force. He is him, the third member of the Trinity. Fully God, with all of the characteristics of God, but with the distinct personality of a person. You know him, and here's the key, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. The Spirit has always been with his people. But when Jesus is glorified, there will be a uniqueness and that the Spirit will be in them in a new way. Chapter 16, he expounds on this. Chapter 16, verse 7. Okay, I'm telling you again, I really need to go, but it's for your advantage. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's incredible to think about. Jesus in his humanity is not omnipresent, but the Spirit is. Imagine, Jesus, you're walking with us. Don't, don't, don't leave us. We want to be able to see you. We want to be able to talk to you. And you know why it's better that he leave and the Spirit come? Because now everyone in Christ can see him and talk to him and hear from him. Because of the Spirit. And what will the Spirit do? But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to do a couple things. He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit of the Lord is the confirmation of the righteousness of God in his people and will display the wickedness of the world. But what will he do in the people of God? Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, this is why it's to your advantage. He will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What is the job of the Spirit? He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he, the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. What a wonderful picture of the interworking of our Godhead. That what the Father has given to the Son is entrusted to the Spirit to lay on our hearts and minds so that we will not forget. And so, to be honest, we're 
exact, not exactly sure what the difference is between what the Spirit's doing in Old Testament believers or Old Covenant believers and New Covenant believers. But we know that there is a fullness and an intensity that, that John looks forward to. And so here's what we have to understand before we get into Paul, that the Spirit is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and with the Son. And he powerfully provides all life to all created things, and he provides new life to all the redeemed. Just to be clear, in case anyone's confused, many scriptures, but Romans 4 and um, Hebrews 11 make it very clear that anyone who is ever saved must be saved by, must be saved, uh, by saving faith. Um, yeah, they're, they're saved, they're justified by faith. Um, old or new covenant. And so, this is Yahweh's gracious covenantal agreement with his people. He has a relationship with his people in all times, in all places, in the elect. What we're going to be talking about going forward is the quality of life and ministry of the elect in the new covenant. Okay, So we're not talking about a new way of salvation. We're talking about a new way of, of ministry and, and living. So now let's get into our next book, Acts. Acts chapter 1. We know this, the theme verse of Acts, we've been going through it over and over and over again. Acts 1.8, we should know this by heart by now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is the significance of the Spirit coming upon you? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And the very next chapter, the Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit changes everything. Chapter 2, verse 1 when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house, and they were sitting. And a divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Gives them known languages. And the people are amazed. Skip down to verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. Notice. And in the last days, what are the three things? A day and a Messiah and in outpouring. The last days it shall be God declared, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What does he mean by all flesh? Look at what's listed here. And your sons and daughters, those who are free, those who are closest to you, your young men shall see visions from young to old, your old men shall dream dreams, even on your male servants, those who are slaves, those who are far from you, from the greatest to the least, your male servants and your female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It sounds like what we are in Christ. There is no longer male nor female, slave nor free, young, old, Jew, Gentile. All will receive the spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs in the earth below and blood and fire uh, and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. There was a day coming when the Savior would be born. And there's another day coming when the Savior would return. And until that day, the people of God will be filled with the Spirit of God to proclaim his name. And what is their purpose until that great and magnificent day? That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
The Spirit came for salvation. The Spirit came to carry and empower His people in ministry. Now that the Spirit has come after the glory of Christ, there are rivers of living water in His people. Ministry is qualitatively and quantitatively greater. The gospel is the power of God under salvation because it is driven by the Spirit of God. That is why it's powerful. Not because our voices can get loud or we can be compelling, but because the Spirit of God is working in the people of God and the hearers. That is exactly what Paul gets into in, our, in 1 Corinthians 2. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2. That was our reading from earlier. And I want to just read this slowly, and I want you just to, to meditate on, on, on these words. He helps us see that there is a, there is a, na- there's a spiritual nature to New Covenant ministry. I want you to notice the lowercase s's and the capital S's. Paul speaks of people as spiritual beings. Each one of us has a spirit within us, a, 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 a life within us. And depending on how the capital S spirit transforms our inward spirit, will we'll, we'll determine what we know and what we understand. I'm just going to begin in verse 9. Because I want you to see purpose here. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined for what God God has prepared for those who love him. Hold on to that thought. The Father does this out of love. He sent the Son into the world because he loves the world. He sent his Son because he loves his people. Those who would never choose him because of our wicked hearts. He sent his son to redeem them out of the world. And he also sent his spirit into us because he loves us. Continue on. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit, lowercase s, of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Our breath inside of us is a a, a spirit. God himself has a, a spirit. The spirit knows the depths of God himself. And what has the God who loved us given us? Now we have received not the spirit lowercase s of the world, but the spirit who is from God, capital S. Why? So that we might understand things freely given us by God. God loves us so much that he would want us to know him and to know the depths of his majesty and his sovereignty and his grace and his mercy. And so we, this is what we've been been given by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Brothers and sisters, when you meet another believer in Christ, you're having a spiritual conversation with someone who has spiritual ears to hear, and you get to connect to someone who is indwelt with the Spirit. Isn't it amazing how we have immediate brotherhood? When we meet someone who knows the Lord, it's almost like something in me that is foreign to me, that has transformed me, is talking to something in you that is foreign to you, that has transformed you, and we speak the same language. 
we have this immediate interpreter and we understand the things that are not understood except the depths of God. But God has come to dwell in us. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them. He cries like that because he can't understand them. <laughs> but they are spiritually discerned. You must be born again. This is why when you talk to unbelieving family members, they, 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 they stare at you. Like when you try to tell the, the, the dog to change the channel on the remote. He can't do it. Because he doesn't understand. You must be born again. But if you are, the spiritual person judges all things. But he is himself to be judged by no one because Christ has already told us there is no condemnation. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We saw that David is the man after God's own heart, is marked by the Spirit being upon him all his days. Think about the love that the Father has for us, that he would put his Spirit within us. That we would understand the depths of God, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would be able to speak and, and understand spiritual things. He loved us enough to save us, he loves us enough to sanctify us. And he loves us enough to give us his spirit so that we can speak words of life that come from the spirit. The rivers of living water would come out of our lips. Amen. And it is the spirit who seals us. He is the assurance of our salvation. He is the seal of the new covenant. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. Look at one... Um, couple last texts and then just application. Second Corinthians beginning in chapter 1, 22. Or excuse me, 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. We look back at the anointing of David and uh, Saul that, that the, the Spirit came upon them for a particular time. But how, why has the Spirit come upon us? To put His seal on us. And has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The same thing is said in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jesse made this distinction on, on a Wednesday night. We see the Spirit as the seal of the new covenant because Scripture does. Our baptism doesn't seal us. It is the baptism of the Spirit that, that seals us from now and forever. So finally, when we think about ministry, this text is, is um, this final text is to embolden us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the most extensive uh, text on the new covenant, on what, is, what God is doing differently in the new covenant again we're not talking about salvation here we're talking about ministry verse three so paul's saying do i need to give you my resume do i need to give you a letter of recommendation you're my letter of recommendation 
And verse 3, and to show that you are a letter uh, from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. And the old covenant, that was, that was how ministry was done. The, the uh, tablets were shown to you. Now the spirit it has indwelled you. There is a new nature to this new covenant. It is spiritual in nature. They, it is written on the hearts of the people of God. The people of God are defined by their hearts. The ones that are circumcised, the ones that are flowed with, with a living water. Why, verse 4, to have confidence that what we have through Christ, such is the confidence that we have through Christ or God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. It is the Spirit who works in us. So we're bold. A lot of you struggle with being bold. A lot of you struggle with confidence in your faith because you think it is you you need to be confident in. It is, you struggle because you think your sufficiency is in you. It is not. God makes us sufficient through his Spirit. It is God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. This ministry is not one of the letter, but of the Spirit. You try to keep the law, you will die. But if you're in the Spirit, there is life and freedom. There was a, Paul calls the old covenant a ministry of death. Why? Because animals were always dying. It was, it, it was, it was marked by death. Sacrifices can't save you eternally. It was carved on letters of stone. It came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of his glory. God showed himself in a minuscule way to his people, and it was so glorious. They couldn't even look on Moses' face. They didn't see it. Moses did. That is so glorious. But will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, which what once had glory, that old covenant ministry has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that has surpasses it. That's what the whole entire book of Hebrews is about. For if what is being brought to an end came with more glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The seal of our eternal life in the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, all that to say, since we have such a hope, Paul is saying this, that we would be confident, hopeful people. We are bold. And he goes on to say how um, not like Moses who would put the veil over his face and the veil remains for the people who read it, but jumping down to verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That is what it means to be in Christ. The curtain is torn. Our eyes are open. We have eyes to see. And this is the final encouragement. So the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Why are we free? Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. We are not free to sin, but we are free to live with him in righteousness. Without fear of condemnation, without fear of death, without fear of judgment. And here's a warning. If you are not in Christ, there is no freedom. You are free to sin and free to die. You can't live apart from him. There is no life apart from him. 
But we all, speaking to believers here, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory for another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is why we spent so much time in all these texts. I want to embolden you and encourage you, saints, in what you do have. This is what the Lord has been preparing for all along. We have the fullness of his revelation in the word of God and the fullness of his spirit. Because Christ has been glorified and in each one of us there is rivers of living water that are bubbling up within us. We are to be bold people. We are to be confident people. We are to be hopeful people. And so I want you, brothers and sisters, to walk in knowledge and confidence in the spirit. And if you have not been born again, it is impossible to please God. Faith is a gift given by the Spirit, and without it, you can do all the good works you want. You can try to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, but I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher right now. Because these things are spiritually discerned. You must turn and come to Him. And so the rest of these applications are for those who turn and come to Him. So, for us, in our final few moments... What does this mean for us? What do we do with this? So let's be honest. Walking in the Spirit doesn't always mean that things will go well. Amen? It often doesn't. Why? Because when you've been born again, you now switch allegiances. You're on the other team. You have joined your king's army. You wear his colors, you wave his flag, and now you are a target for the enemy. Look at David. The spirit rushed upon David, and everything got easier for David, didn't it? David fought his entire life. His life was marked with blood. His own son wanted to kill him. The king wanted to kill him on many occasions. Look at our Savior, the anointed king, in the spirit. He taught, he healed, he multiplied bread, he walked on water. What was the very first thing he did in his ministry? Where did the Spirit lead him in the very first thing? To be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. They hated him. They mocked him. They crucified him. They killed him. Because they did not want to be confronted with their own sin and his righteousness. But, Romans 8 All the great buts and encouragement come from Romans 8. But here's where I want to encourage you, saints. Romans 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of this sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is the encouragement to the believer. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of the spirit of God rests in the people of God. So, life in the spirit doesn't mean you won't get tempted or, 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 or you won't be tried. It means you will never be alone, ever. It means you don't have to trust in your own sufficiency or your own effectiveness or your own strength. 
And here's the beauty of the Christian life. The wilderness for a believer is not a place of the absence of the Holy Spirit. It is a place where he makes his presence known. Just like he did with our Savior. He ministers to us. And he refines us and he teaches us to trust him. And when you've come on the other side of the wilderness, he gives you to the opportunity to recount his mighty power and his provision. Because if you've been through the wilderness and you've come out the other side, you know what it means to trust in the Lord in, in those times. And so finally, I'm going to give you um, seven things, a number of completion to take home as encouragement. Before we get into them, just as further reminder, brothers and sisters, at the Spirit... Um, that brought you to new life in Christ is in you. Do you know what you have? You have the same faith of Abraham. You have the same glory of Moses. You have the same intimacy of David because the same spirit is with you. But in addition, you have the same boldness as the apostles because the spirit resides within you. And then so what do we do with all of this? Seven things, quickly. Number one, in amazement, we have the fullness of revelation. We have the fullness of God's word, and we have the fullness of salvation. I love this. First Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, he says here, concerning this salvation, this, this living hope that he's been talking about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them so here is the spirits in the, prof, the, the the spirit of God, spirit of Christ in the prophets, inquiring um, carefully, looking forward. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they are not serving themselves but you. When we read the Old Testament prophets, it is to encourage us. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things on which angels long to look. The salvation that we have now is amazing. The prophets long to see it. They never got to see it in its fullness. The angels are amazed from heaven. We should not take our salvation lightly. Number two, in prayer. The Spirit of Christ intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You don't know what to say. You're struggling. You don't have the words. Join the club. That is why he gave us the spirit. He helps us, comforts us, guides us, even if it's just to fall on our face and cry out to God. Even if it's just to say, Abba, Father, I don't know what else to say. The spirit teaches us the language of prayer to speak through our Father, through uh, the Son, our mediator. Number three, in assurance. We don't have to fear condemnation. We don't have to fear separation from God because we are sealed in the Spirit. Think about this, brothers and sisters. You are as united to Christ as the Spirit is. Because the Spirit dwells in us. That's why Peter says we can be partakers of the divine nature. We don't become God's but we become united to the Son of God through His Spirit. Number four, in walking, the Christian life, the same Spirit who drew us to the Father, unites us to the Son, and He uses us. He's not, he will finish the work He began, 
He instructs us. He encourages us. He will equip us. He will give us everything we need. The same Spirit who brought us to new life as babies helps us crawl, teaches us to walk, and frees us up to run in Him. Number five, in ministry. It is a great freedom and encouragement that the Spirit does the work. He speaks through His Word. It is the power of the gospel, the living and active word of God. He speaks through our words, spiritual things to those who are spiritual. He speaks in the hearts of those who are ready to receive the words, giving them ears to hear. We're just sowing seeds. We're just mouthpieces. He is doing all the work. And so that should free us up and encourage us in our teaching, in our discipleship, in our evangelism. It is not our effectiveness. It is not our sufficiency, as Paul says. It is God's sufficiency. And he chooses to use us as vessels. He pours the Spirit into us, vessels of honor. And when we speak, the Spirit pours out of us. That is Christian ministry. Number six, in boldness. We fear God, we don't fear man. What can they do to us? How is it that the apostles are celebrating after getting beaten and thrown in prison? What are they going to do, not like us? The worst they could do is kill us, and we've got glory to look forward to. Bring it on. I could do this all day. Um, I could listen to Sandra all day. (laughs) But that is enough for now. Number seven. And finally, we have confidence to give an invitation Because we have an anticipation. Revelation 22. We have confidence to give an invitation because we have an anticipation. The Spirit resides in us. What is the Spirit telling us to say? You know, this just came to mind, and so I'm going to bring this up. Um, You know, it's a good test for someone's salvation. When when you hear about the second coming of, of Christ... You talk to a believer, it's like, come on, Jesus, right now. Like, now? Now's a good time. Today's a good day. Tomorrow's a good day. The next day after that, that's also a good day. You ever talk to someone, well, I don't know if I want Jesus to come back. I kind of like my life. Uh, Yeah, you you may want to check your life. But here's what the Spirit says. And the Spirit and the bride in one say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is the ministry of the Spirit, living waters in us, calling others to drink of those living waters, saying, come to Jesus because he is coming soon. So I'll give you a few moments to prepare yourself for his table.